Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, we're in a series, and it's called God's Mind on Money, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. I like that term, God's mind, and if you remember, I remember, I shared with you that it's really God's mind and God's heart, and the way he reveals his mind and his heart clearly for us to understand, obviously he does it through nature, he does it through perhaps other people, but as it is always brought through Scripture, that's how he does it. Now, in a short while, we're going to conclude this series on God's mind on money. And the Lord really laid it on my heart, and I shared it with a few others, that I believe that our next series would be very helpful for all of us, but also your kids, the young people. And we're going to call that series God's Mind on Paper. Now, I'm not assuming that you would um, not know that, but there are many of you that would like to have, maybe in a succinct three-week series, not a six-week series, to really understand how did God's mind and His heart be reduced to the paper that we have today, Scripture, and how we're to live it out. So we're going to teach that for three Sundays. It's called God's Mind on Paper, and especially those of you that have friends with whom you work, neighbors, family members, and especially your young people so they'll be standing strong and lasting long in school, you'll want them to be a part of that. For this is going to explain and answer the question, how do we really know this is uh, the Word of God? And how did it get to us today? And how was it written so many, many years ago? And yet we can still trust it as being accurate today. So it'll have apologetics in there, but it's a little bit more on how did we preserve the text that we have today. And so it went all the way from the Lord through the transmission of it, interpretation, of course, all the inspiration of it, illumination of it the application of it, the proclamation of it, and you'll want to be a part of that. And you'll, if you come regularly, you'll have all the announcements to know when we're launching that particular series so you can begin inviting your friends. I've asked my good friend, our good friend, Roy Brown, to team teach that with me. Now, it doesn't mean he'll teach for five minutes and I'll teach for 40, nothing like that. He's going to have two Sundays and then I'm going to wrap it all up, kind of put the dessert out for you on the third Sunday. And you'll want to be here. We're going to record it so that you'll have opportunities to listen to it again. It'll be two different teaching styles, same topic, same heart for the Lord, and same love for you is involved in that, and you'll want to be a part of it. Those of you that are listening to this in a message on the radio, if you'll just follow the website or you can just call us, we'll be glad to let you know how you can get a copy of that very important message, that series, God's Mind on Money, taught by Roy Brown, who's the founder of Accordance Bible Software, as well as I'll kind of end it up at the end. I'm not going to correct him, I'm just going to add to what he said, so it'll be a great time together. Those of you who are guests, I just want to kind of tell you where you are. You've kind of come into a a series here on God's mind on money. What I want to assure you is that we have not taught on money at this church for a while. It has been taught. It's been taught very biblical, but as a church, it's always an organism and growing. There's new people coming, so occasionally we have to bring that out again. And who wouldn't want to know God's mind on money? We have it with us today. You either have a credit card in your pocket or purse. You have maybe cash, a check. You know that money is what basically makes your world go round. And so it is important to know what does God have to say about it. And that's important for you too. I may be teaching you about money, but it means nothing if it's not God's mind on money, and we want to teach you that. So again, for a little bit of a review, would you follow me over here to this table? Again, you see there are three cups here, and I used this cup as perhaps your life or your checkbook or maybe even your investments. It's whatever you receive your money. 
And we're going to let this picture with water represent uh, the water, our money, our income, our resources, how we got them, whether it was through diligent effort or prayer or someone gave it to us, however we acquired our funding in a proper way. That would be us getting that money, and the Lord provides that, whether he gave us the job or the ability to get the job, keep the job, or work, or you just got money from other sources that are biblical. It's like taking that money in. And we learn how to do that. How do we get our money? I encourage you to get that series if you don't have that, that little section, God's Mind on Money and How to Get Your Money, especially those of you who want to teach to your kids the value of a work ethic. It's a great message, a great series on that, on what the Bible says on getting your money. Then last week, we talked a little bit about how to manage our money. We call that how to guard our money. If you recall, I said, okay, this is kind of like where we, get, we hold our money. It comes into here, and this is our money as it comes in. And if we're not careful, we're going to have a problem at the end of all of this. And if you can see from where you are, there's a couple of holes in the bottom of this. And we mentioned that it doesn't matter how much income you have if you don't know how to plug the hole in the bottom of your financial bucket. In other words, if you don't know how to manage or guard your money, you can then run out of it, and all you're going to do is say, well, I need more money. And so now we take on another job and another job, and then we have our mate work, and they take on another job only to keep up because we have holes in the bottom of our bucket. Well, we covered that last week, and as a preacher, you're always wondering, did the people really get what you were saying, you know? Well, I can tell you this. I didn't even get off the platform, and there was a lady that was just effervescing, and she was saying, i got to talk to you. She says, would you help me? You talked about a ledger. You talked about how you laid it out with Carol. And how you... Would you help me do that? And I said, no, you're on your own. No, I didn't say that. I said, be glad to. The point of the matter is there was someone that recognized that God has given them money and will continue to do that, but now they want to learn how to manage it properly. And I hope that if you weren't here, you get a copy of that message because we gave you biblical ways, very clearly defined biblical ways to manage your money. At the end of all of that, once you have your money, obviously the next step is what are you going to do with it? And God does talk about it, and that is you fill your cup up, you fill your money up so that you then can pour it out in others, beginning with your own family and their basic needs that they have, and then those that are around you, and eventually to further the work of the kingdom of God. So you take that in, you take care of the basic needs of your life. God did does that for us through the acquisition of money, but he doesn't just end it. It's not just about me, myself, and I. It's also about giving it out to others, taking care of your basic needs of life and others. And that would include poor people. Now, I have to be very frank with you. Honestly, there is so much in Scripture that is so clearly taught on how we should handle our money that I could be in this series literally for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But we're not going to do that. I am going to attempt to answer over the next two times we're together on Sunday in this topic on what does God say about giving our money, because I think that's so very, very important. I've also been accumulating from many of you questions that you've had about money. What do I do with this and how do I handle that? There are so many very rich and very significant questions that's coming, but I don't have time to answer them unless you want to be in this series until sometime at the end of 2020 even. So I don't want to do that. But I would encourage you that when we, uh, if you have a question about money, you can either do it anonymously or you can say, I have a friend who has this question, you know, and email it to me or drop it in the offering on one of those little information sheets. 
That way I'll get that. And what we're planning on doing is we're going to actually film that privately. We won't have a regular service like this. We're going to set aside a time. You can then join us for that filming session of it. We're going to record it audibly and and videotape it so that you can have your own copy and get that to take it to others. So if you're not able to be a part of it, I will give you a separate supplemental message. And some of the questions we're going to be answering would be this. Do I give only to my church? Do I give to other missions? What are the criteria that I should look at if I'm going to give my money to another organization? Does God teach on tithing or does he teach on grace giving? What about all those poor people on the side of the road that hold up signs? How do I teach my children how to handle their money? Well, the Bible has all those answers. That's why I love being a preacher because technically I only need to go to one book. Well, 66 books. And the Lord has given a lot of wise people to add some great insights into that one book. So I hope you'll be a part of that. And then we're going to launch again into that series that I've taught before. So let's begin today talking about a topic that a lot of uh, preachers have a hard time talking about. I heard a story one time about four guys that went out to play golf. Three of them went to church and one of them didn't. And he knows that uh, a lot of times in church they talk about money. So while they're out on the links with the guys, this guy that didn't know much about it, he asked his three uh, religious buddies, he said, well, what about giving? How do you give? And uh, one guy says, I have the answer. This is how you give. He says, what I do on Sundays, I put all the money that I can give. I put it in my pockets. I go in the backyard, and what I do is I draw a box in the sand, and then I take all the money out, and I throw it up in the air. And any of the money that lands inside the box, that goes to God. Any money that's outside the box, I can keep. That's good. The other guy says, no, 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 that's not how, no, 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 it's done this way. What you do is you draw a circle. See, I draw a circle, and I throw everything up in the air. And all the money that falls outside the circle, God gets. And everything that's inside the circle, that's what I keep. The third guy was really kind of shrewd. He says, no, I don't do any of that. What I do is I draw a triangle because it represents God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then what I do is I take all my money and I throw it up in the air. And anything God wants, he can keep. Anything that falls to the ground is mine. I thought you'd like that, but the bottom line of it is that poor guy, that fourth guy, still never got what the Bible had to teach about how we're supposed to give our money. And so that's why I'm coming to you here. But I'm often asked, you know, how come preachers don't really preach on it? you got one that they preach on it all the time. You can't almost turn on the television that someone is not either asking for money or willing to give you a free Bible for a gift of $25. I have not figured that out yet, but be that as it may, that the point of the matter is they're not really teaching what the Bible has to say. Then you have others that are so fearful about speaking on money, they never do. So what I did is I decided to do a little research to find out why do preachers have a, a difficult time speaking on money. This is, this is not a joke. These are real reasons why sometimes you can go to church and you never hear about it. And I, I grieve for that because God, in His great grace, gives us these resources and they're to be used for a proper use But we mess it all up, like those guys throwing the money in the air and trying to figure out what they're supposed to do with it for themselves or for God. So here are some of the responses in the research that I've done, why pastors really don't like preaching about money. Number one is they have the fear of failure. And the reason they say that is they feel like sometimes when they talk about money that they are kind of getting into an area where there's a lot of landmines out there. And as soon as they start speaking on it, they're going to have some people in the church that are going to overload that thing and say that's all he does is ask for money, 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 money. And they really begin to poison the flock, poison their friends, and the church splits because people believe that false teaching. And so they say to get away from all those landmines, the best thing to do, I don't want to fail in my role, so I'll just not speak about money at all. 
Then there, guys don't want to speak on money because they don't want to be that guy. And that guy is the guy that's the prosperity and health and wealth gospel kind of guy. So they think, as soon as I speak about money, people are going to think that I'm, I'm leaning towards or I'm going to become that guy who's going to talk about prosperity theology. And so they don't speak on money. And there is a tendency for that. But at the same time, watch this, an extension of a good thing can also be very, very detrimental and dangerous. And Satan is the one of incredible imbalance and false teaching. So yes, I don't want to become that guy, but I also don't want to become that guy who doesn't ever speak on money or teach on money. Number three is they lack training in speaking on this. And what I mean basically by that is they're very insecure. They're in the same boat. They don't even know how to handle their own money. They don't even know how to, they don't know what the Word of God has to say about money. They've never even operated a business, so they don't know how to look at a church financial statement and how they can properly explain it to the people. So they really lack that kind of training. So they just kind of back away from that subject and they speak on a lot of other things. Another one is a fear of rejection. We talked a little bit about that, but also idealism. They sometimes think that um, as long as I just preach the Word and we have a lot of prayer, God will just bring in the increase. Well, that is true. You need to have a lot of prayer. You need to do things biblically. You need to preach the Word. But part of preaching the Word is to preach, you ready for this? The whole counsel of God. And part of that is going to bump up against giving. And the interesting part is there's more passages of Scripture that Jesus spoke on, on giving than He did of heaven and hell combined together. So he should come into that and speak that and not only preach part of it. And then here's another one. They said that preachers sometimes love money so much and they really love what money can give to them that they often don't talk about it from a biblical point of view because they feel guilty. And they just uh, they think, oh, when I start doing this, they got their own problem. And then, um, and this is a true one, this one I think you can understand. They sense in the Bible that there are opposing views, there's a tension between views about money in the Bible. In one place, you read where Jesus said uh, to the rich man, you've got to give up all your money. In other places, he says it's okay to invest your money. How, how does that fit together? One place in the Bible, it talks about tithing. Another place in the Bible, it talks about just giving freely, voluntarily. There is that tension going on. Another one talks about blessed are the poor. Of course, taken out of context, but blessed are the poor, so you're better that you're poor. But then over here, it talks about those who had a lot of money. Perhaps Abraham was very wealthy, Joseph of Arimathea, who had the uh, tomb available for Jesus. So there have the tension between the rich and the poor, and they're going to be with us. But yet again, what's, what's going on? So they, 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 they shy away from that because they don't know um, how to handle that as good as they could from the Bible. Another one I found out is that they don't know how to present the need. A lot of pastors, when they bring to the church um, uh, at the, once a year, they, um, they go to the church and they say, okay, it's time to vote on our budget. They hand out the piece of paper and they have all, this is what we brought in, this is what we spent, this is what we brought in and what it was to be for, the budget, this is how we spent it. And so folks, if you really want to keep the lights on, you need to give. Now, all of that practically is true. But we're not a business. We do operate in a business fashion because we have to fulfill the laws of finances, etc. That's important to do. But really, you don't give to a budget. What you give to is the vision that the budget should be displaying before you. The budget is there to accomplish a greater good than just put electricity into the building. It's to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Now, how do you plan to do it? It's that strategy and that structure that you need to have God's money to help do that. So people, when you give, you don't give merely to a budget. 
Okay, you give because of the greater vision that the church has, but pastors often don't know that, so they present it to the, for the budget, the money doesn't come in, and they get discouraged, so they just don't even want to deal with it any longer. That becomes a problem. Well, let me just give you one more, and then I'll, um, I'll end with this. They have insufficient study on what the Bible has to say about money. I want you to know that I didn't throw this together last night or this last week or grab a couple messages from somebody else's sermon that I saw on YouTube or something. I know that money is such an important commodity as it really reveals to us how we use it, how we get it, how we manage it. It really reveals our true heart, especially when it talks about how we give our money. And so since it's in Scripture, it behooved me, for I have to give an account to God for you all in what I taught you all to really do this study. So I not only believe what I'm teaching you here about all of it, God's mind on money, But I believe it so much that Carol and I have lived by this uh, large set of biblical principles. And I can tell you, looking at you, it has provided the three things that I told you last week would do. Number one, it has given us great peace. Have there been times that we're right at the edge of the bed on on our budget? Absolutely, because God tests us so that we still have to always rest in Him. Blessed is the man who trusteth Him always, and I'll add, about all things. But I can also tell you that when God has brought that in to us, it has given us a great sense of accomplishment that what we have, we can provide for our family, our basic needs of life, so that we can have at least a life that would um, give us a home that could be functional, watch this now, as a ministry center. So it's just not a place for us to hide. It's a place for us to use and enjoy for others. And then finally, following all of this has given us enough so that hopefully in some measure that we can give to the goose that lays the golden eggs, that's you, the church here, our local assembly, and the golden eggs are our ministries and missionaries, and then to go beyond that to help others. We're not cavalier or great people. All we've chosen to do is to follow God's biblical principles. Now let me share this. Has it been easy after 49 years of marriage to do that? No, it has not. I can honestly tell you that um, there was a period of time in our life that the Lord severely tested us. I left Florida Bible College in teaching in 1979, and uh, we moved to North Carolina mountains. I mean, really, the, the real Appalachian mountain part. Carol's sister had cancer and was dying of cancer, so we needed to take care of she and her, her children. Her mom and dad lived next door. I could not find a job. Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm trained in the Word of God. I'm trained in teaching the Word. And up there, they have a bunch of mountain preachers and churches, and I had a doctorate degree, so I was kind of like an anomaly to the area, so I was kind of like untouchable. I get that. I understand that's their culture, so it's not a pejorative comment. But it was a hard place for me to... So the, the only thing I could do for our family was was to borrow a pickup truck. And I tell this, literally, I had to collect garbage so we could eat. Now, I didn't mean we ate the garbage. I, I don't go there with that, all right? But I would borrow the pickup truck, collect all the garbage. I get paid to do that in these little mountain little trailers, as you see them up in the western North Carolina mountains, take it to the dump, and I would get paid, and that would transfer into some funds. The good news, that didn't last any longer than about 18 months, and that was over. So was it easy to follow these principles of being debt-free? No, it wasn't. Was it fun for us in our little trailer that we had that was so old it sat right on the ground so there was so much mildew and mold in the house that we had to leave all the lights on in the closets because it would get all moldy? Was it uh, fun for Dad to um, stoke up the little pot-belly stove 
with little pieces of wood because it was so small at night so we could go to bed and be warm when we went to sleep. But when we put our boys in bed, we had to put their ski jackets on to sleep in because by the morning it would be so cold. It was that fun, you know? Did we live through it? Yep. Do I have a nice car? Yep. Do I have a wife who's showing joyful countenance? Say yes, Carol. Yes. All right. So to all of that, I want you to know God has delivered us. And do I ever expect us not to have that in the future? God can do that in a heartbeat. We could go home and who knows what could be waiting for us at the house. All right. So the point still being is these principles still work and we are alive here as a living testimony. Are we great people? No. Are we struggling people on a journey? Yes. Are we still filled, a hope with the fullness of God, as he says? I believe so. So when I embark these truths upon you now, impart these truths upon you now, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you'll at least consider them biblically and then make whatever mid-course corrections you need to make in your life by his power, for his glory, in faith, believing it, and then pass this down to your kids and your grandkids so we can rewrite any of the church that had the wrong teaching on giving. So I think I said enough there, so let's jump right into our notes so we can get out of here by dinner, all right? So let's go. I wanted to leave again with you the conviction that we is kind of like our, our basic principle by which we make our decisions on the whole issue of God's mind on money. And that is that our money, that's our actual cash and our resources, that would be our hard assets, have been given to us from God. So we, we always own that. Everything I have has come from God. He's the only God. He's a benevolent God. He gives us what we need. He gives the need, not the greed. And it must be earned, managed, and given away. So when I say it's been given to us by God, we're not saying that we just sit back and we just go to the mailbox and the money is in an envelope there. Okay, we're not saying that. Can sometimes it come like that? It's possible some money, sometimes rarely for some people. But he'd much rather have us earn it once we get it, manage it. And then, of course, he wants us to give it away. But when we do that, whether we earn it, manage it, or give it away, we do it for his glory. It's always about his glory for his glory alone. And then finally, how do I know that I'm doing it properly? It's according to clear scriptural principles, not those that are taken out of context. So that's our conviction, and I hope that that would be yours. So we talked about getting our money, guarding our money. Now we're going to talk about giving our money. As a uh, pastor for so many years, I think I have found that there are five levels of giving that a lot of Christians or maybe religious people give, and I want to give them to you now. So again, maybe you might fit into one of these categories or at least know the one we should be in. So let's go to number one. We call one level of Christian giving, and we call it the tip level, the tip level. There are those who tip the Lord in the same way they would tip a waiter or waitress or maybe someone who takes their luggage at the airport. Just like I'm going to give them something in appreciation. In other words, when they give in church, whether they're a member or not member, they give, I appreciate what I got today. It's a pretty good message. It was all right. I should give. So I'm going to take care of my conscience. I'm going to reach in my pocket because I don't want anybody to think that I'm a cheap Christian. So I'll just kind of drop a $5 bill into the offering plate and I've tipped God. Now, let me back up a little bit. Those of you that are listening on the radio and other places now, I want you to know we have not, we have taken the We have received the offering earlier, so this is not setting our people up for a big give at the end, okay? There's no big give at the end. You just won't be able to get out of the auditorium with our men until you do, but other than that, seriously speaking, so this is just to let you know about tip giving. All right, number two, the second is what we call entertainment level. There are those who come to church for a special event. When it's a good event, maybe it's Easter, maybe it's Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, their kids are doing something, their grandkids are showing up and doing a special program, and they've been entertained. So, yeah, I ought to give something back. It took a little extra money for them to do this particular event, so they do that. In a sense, I understand that. We grew up with that. 
We grew up with the tip giving level. You know, when we go somewhere, we tip somebody. We, we grew up with, okay, we get what we paid for, and so we'll do that. And I don't know how many of you maybe lower the amount of tip you left for a meal if your wait service didn't do a good job. So we kind of, we own that in our heart. The third is the emotional level. The emotional level would be that if you have good preaching and they're really telling the stories and they're making people cry about giving and putting people on a guilt trip that emotionally, yes, I'll give, I'll give, here you go, you can have my firstborn, you know, whatever it might be. You get that emotional level you give. On the other side, if you're a leader, a Christian leader, and that's how you motivate your people, the flip side of that is if they feel hurt for whatever reason, they get offended because the announcement wasn't done or a song wasn't right or the message was too long or whatever, they get their emotions hurt, well, then I'm just not going to give any longer. Sounds like kids in a kindergarten play box, okay? So that's not how we're to give. It's not based on emotion. The fourth one is what we call promise-level giving. These are the people they give based on a particular promise. They make a pledge to do that. And often when they make a pledge to do that, well, then um, they have the right to either unpledge or keep the pledge if they do that. That's called pledge giving. I've said this a lot of times. Um, I don't know if you've heard it here. I think I've said it once. As a pastor, again, this is what I've experienced. People will, in a building program, they're going to launch a new ministry, and they're going to take commitments from the people, pledges, whether it's faith promise or not, You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.